Hey everyone, it's Chris again, and I'm here with another bonus episode. For this bonus episode, we went back to the 12-hour live event that we recently hosted, and we grabbed the audio from the amazing segment, How to Be an Equity Advocate, with Caitlin Giordano, Hedrick Nichols, and Dr. Sheldon Eakins. We really hope you guys enjoy. Let's dive in. Our live stream. My name is Caitlin Giordano. I'm a sixth grade teacher and director of curriculum and instruction with Teach Better Team. And we're here today to talk equity and inclusion, two of my favorite topics with two of my favorite people. Um, so let's, uh, and you know what, one of the things too I'm really excited to talk more about today is we're our sponsor, the Leading Equity Center with uh, Dr. Sheldon Aikens down there. So Dr. Aikens, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's, it's, this is great because we get to do this again. I remember the last time we did this, it was fun. Uh, so I'm looking forward to today. Uh, I'm Dr. Sheldon L. Aikens, host of the Leading Equity Podcast and also the founder of the Leading Equity Center. Um, I enjoy what I do. I, I work with teachers, educators, and now we've been doing a lot more work with students. And that has really been uh, beneficial to just seeing as a whole, how that works out. And so, yeah, that's what I do. I do a lot of training. Uh, I'm looking forward to a lot of in-person training these days too, because like COVID, I'm fully vaxxed. And, <laughs> and uh, COVID is, is uh, hopefully it starts to slow down so where I can start seeing people. I love Zoom, don't get me wrong, but uh, it'd be nice to see people in person these days. Oh, I feel that, I feel that. Well, we're so glad that you're here with us, and we have someone else here with us, one of my favorite people ever. Hedrick, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? <laughs> okay, friend. No, I'm sorry. I guess there's more than that. I am Hedrick Nichols, author, educator, and host of the YouTube series and podcast, Small Bites, a series that tells teachers how to be how to create more equitable classrooms and campuses. Doing a, a lot of writing, just completed a series in January, uh, what is the anti, what is anti-racism and what is the Black Lives Matter movement? Uh, those are really timely, and they just tapped me to do a couple of other books with uh, Calissa Wing has done an amazing series on Cherry Lake Publishing to talk about things like Black Wall Street and HBCUs because a lot of times we do the whole, we see the downtrodden side, but we don't see all the great things that have happened in the Black community. So I'm super excited to get to be a part of that and also super excited to be here with you two here for Teach Better Live. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So this is segment that we have right now is sponsored by the Leading Equity Center. And because of your awesomeness and the awesome center that we, is sponsoring us, we have a fabulous giveaway. And Dr. Akins, I actually would love it if you would tell people a little bit more about what we're giving away because it's coming straight from you. Of course. Of course. Thank you. Uh, yeah. 
I am giving away my, my, my signature course, which is teaching through a culturally diverse lens. Uh, I believe we set it up for three individuals to, um, to win that for today's segment. So yeah, you'll get access to, was it six modules on all about teaching through a culturally diverse lens. If you're looking at ways to support your students uh, who might be a little different than you, maybe uh, that's ethnicity, ethnicity, race, that might be just background and cultural differences, things like that, how to support them. Uh, that's what the course is all about. And it just take you through a process and then you end on advocacy. That's one of the things that we preach. That's one of the things that we teach through the Leading Equity Center is all about advocacy. It's one thing for me to do the work myself and for me to support my kids, but how do I support others who are trying to do this work as well? And it's all about that as well. So that's that's in a nutshell the course. And so I'm excited to be able to gift that to three individuals uh, today. Definitely. Okay, so people that are hanging out with us today, stick around because we are giving away those three enrollments in the course. Um, so I actually like want to jump into this conversation and just get going because you said something already that I'm like, okay, advocacy, let's talk about what this means. So I want to jump in right away by talking about equity and inclusion. And what does that mean? How do we define that? Just to kind of get us started. Well, I mean, if we're thinking about equity, we're thinking about the individual needs. You know, sometimes we confuse equity and equality. Uh, what is, you know, if you give everybody the same thing, that's the equality piece versus the equity is not just, I'm coming from a special education background. And, you know, when you think about IEPs, you think about 504s and accommodation, things like that. Students might need a little bit extra time. Students might need a little support on reading. So students might need some support um, financially in other areas, right? And so, I mean, when we think about what happened with COVID and a lot of folks are like, oh my gosh, we have kids without technology. We have kids without access to internet services. And then we think, okay, we'll give everybody an iPad. We give everybody a Chromebook. We give everybody uh, the hotspots and that now we're good, right? It's, we're equity, right? That's, that's, we're there. We arrive. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's a great step forward, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be great across the board. We have other challenges that a lot of our students are experiencing. And COVID, for example, did not bring inequities. They're just often highlighted because of, oh, wow, there is a lot of stuff that's happening from, uh, you know, the impact of COVID has really highlighted a lot of stuff. But I mean, in a nutshell, that is kind of the overarching definition of equity. And then when we think about inclusion, and again, thinking about what, what makes a student have a sense of belonging. Um, if I'm in a space where there aren't a lot of people that look like me, there aren't a lot of people that have to share the same identities that I identify as. And a lot of our kids are intersectional when it comes to their identities. And if I do not feel included, I feel ostracized, or uh, I just don't feel like I'm part of the overarching school community, how do we ensure that everyone, everyone feels embraced? Everyone looks forward to coming to school the next day. It's exciting each day. How do we create those type of experiences for our students? So I think it's really important too to talk about that inclusive experience and making sure that as educators, we're doing what we can to be those people and to create that that sense of environment or that culture that makes our students feel that way. Like that ownership is kind of on us. And so mm -hmm. thinking about that, 
when we think about the steps that we need to take. So Hedrick, uh, Sheldon, why don't you share with us some of the steps that we as educators need to be taking then to ensure that we're, we're doing that, we're creating that environment? You know, I think the big thing we forget is we buy the books, we change the materials, we get the the skin color crayon set, and those are wonderful things. But what we miss is the inside work a lot. And we forget that unless we start with looking at what we believe and what our thoughts are about our individual students, then all of those things don't matter. They don't hit home. You know what I mean? It's like putting beautiful makeup and perfume onto a body that is not showered. Your makeup doesn't hold. So what do you believe about your students? You know, when you see, especially like the last week, we've had so many violent incidents, uh, clashes with the black community, the Latin community and the police. And some of the conversations I read were not kind. And some of those people we're educators, you know, well, he was no saint. Well, if that's what we're believing about our students that, well, you know, have you seen what he does every day? He's always been in trouble. I'm not going to invest there. Those are those conversations that go on in the back of our minds that we have to really be intentional about confronting and mitigating. There's always an us and them. When you talk about belonging, there's always an us and there's my family and my neighbors and there's my neighborhood and the people on the other side of town and there's Texans and other folks. There's always an us and them. That's that's natural. But what happens is we other and I use that as as a verb. We other and we make people feel that distance between the us and the them. So the big thing that educators need to start to do is look very honestly and very transparently about what they believe about each individual student. Yeah. I love that. I, I can I add so so self-awareness, right? Bottom line, right, Hedrick is, is what I'm hearing. And and the thing about it is not only that is we have to identify that there is a need for self-awareness. I mean, how many trainings have I entered into where folks just, we don't have an equity issue. We don't have a problem. This is not in my classroom. This is somewhere else. These, or, or we have, we have all white students at our, in our school. We don't need to discuss equity as if equity is limited to, to just race. So it's not just the self-awareness for me. It's also being open to having that self-awareness. Some people just come in with their, with their, I'm, I'm going to try not to get too political. They come in with their beliefs, uh, uh, you know, when it comes to being on the left or on the right. And so there's all this rhetoric that's surrounded by, you know, the different biases that we hold, especially for confirmation biases. And again, we have to be open to that discussion, Hedrick. I, whenever I enter a training, I tell folks, I say, listen, I'm, I, if I'm here for an hour, if I'm here for a full day, a half day, I don't expect to change the hearts and minds of everybody in here. Sometimes it just takes multiple touches. Sometimes it takes, I said something to you, maybe a colleague says the exact same thing and boom, it, it just clicks all of a sudden. I don't care how you get there as long as you're willing to to get there. And, and Oh my God, so, I got it. Sheldon, that is the name. This, this week's vlog is exactly <laughs> that title, Get There. You remember the song? I don't care how you get there, just get here. Get there, yeah, yeah, and that's it. It's and I was you, you just said something so important. It's not always about gender or about race. You mm -hmm. said it's just about others. And I have yeah. my son when he was in, I think third grade, he had this teacher. She had won teacher of the year. 
I knew something was wrong with that teacher when I took her to school and she said, she looked at me, not at him and said, what's his name? It's like, you're a third grade teacher. And I sat in her class once because she always had, my kid was the kid who was going to be crawling on the floor. He was going to be doing his work. He was not going to be disrespectful. He's going to be polite, but he was going to be crawling on the floor because he saw a spider and he was going to, you know, he's, <laughs> and she was the hyper organized. I saw her do a lecture for third graders that lasted mm. 30 minutes. So she would call me all the time. This is the only teacher that ever had like constant issues with my kid, quote unquote, behavior. She called me all the time. And I realized then that it wasn't about he, he was othered to her. He was yeah. that chaotic. I can't find it. It's balled up in my backpack kid. And she was the hyper organized person. And she maybe she used to be that kid and she grew out of it. And that was, you know, sometimes the things we grow out of were most aggressively against she could not, she just, he irritated her. Yeah. And after that, I, I let it go. When she called, I said, oh, sorry to hear you're having a bad time. Well, do the best you can. <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't, there was not an issue. There was not an issue with him. It was an issue because he, she othered him. And so what you mentioned was so important. It's not just race and gender. You want to talk about equity. You have to view with a jock. And you never like nerds and you got this little geeky science fair kid in your class and he irritates you. You need to confront that. That's that self-awareness piece that you're talking about. If you were the nerdy girl and you can't stand the mean girls, and the cheerleaders that used to always give you a hard time, then you have to confront that in yourself so that you can really include be inclusive with all of your kids. So it is gender and race are the, the hot topics. But equity is about how you other and how you should not other. Mic drop on that one. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Everything. Well, and I feel like too, it's it's one of those things that it's uncomfortable to do that. Yeah. You yeah. have to really like sit in it a little bit. And that that's not always something that we want to do. It's almost against our nature to sit with something that we're uncomfortable with and really think about like, okay, how am I doing that? Because if you walk into that conversation ready to be like, okay, no, like I'm not doing this, you've already lost. <laughs> you're already not there and you're not going to take those steps. So I want to do our giveaway because I'm really excited about it. And I feel like it kind of goes along with our conversation. I want to hear from people in the chat how equity impacts your teaching. Mm. I want to talk a little, a little bit too about how equity should be impacting our teaching and how how it might show up in our classrooms you know i think you know okay so we got a lot of buzzwords these days right now everybody's on anti-racism everybody's on anti-bias like those are the, the hot topics these days it used to be social emotional learning and and, and it's, there's always the latest and greatest right and so when we start hearing these messages we start hearing these words getting flown around through our hallways, through our school. And, you know, this is the mission for this year. We're going to focus on anti-racist practices. This is what we're doing. Um, sometimes that translates to educators as more work. This is, oh, I, I, I already have to keep up with my lesson plans. I already had to grade papers. I already have to do these things. Or I have to keep up with my, differentiate my instruction, all this stuff. Um, and I think it's more. This is an add-on. But what I try to tell people is this is not additional work that you need to be doing. This is work, first of all, that you should have been doing. And second of all, this is part of your everyday experiences, everyday practice. 
I think we can all agree that if you're in education, if you're a teacher, if you're in front of students, you want your kids to do well. I think we can all agree on that. Hopefully, hopefully you're in the classroom and that is, <laughs> fingers crossed, right? <laughs> Not from wood, all right? I'm assuming that is what it is, right? So if you say, yes, Sheldon, I want my kids, everybody in my classroom to be successful, then I think we can all agree, again, as educators, that there are, I mean, if we really know our students, if we really take the time to get to know them on an individualized basis, that, you know what, some kids need additional support and, again, more time, less time, some alterations, some differentiation when it comes to the instruction. Because, again, we have the goal of we want them to be successful. So I think if we just operate on that notion as opposed to thinking this is additional work, this is, uh, you know, oh, man, I got to go find some anti-racist material. Well, that should that should have been there already. Maybe it didn't have a name at the time before Dr. Kennedy's work started to come out. But it should have already been. You, I would assume again in front of class, in front of a classroom, that you were anti-racist already. That you didn't consider yourself someone that was um, out there who who discriminated and all. So you you had the best intentions. And I think if we operate on that and not think of it as additional work, but just everyday work that we do, just routine. It's this is part of our life. This is what we do. To me, it just makes so much more sense. Completely. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. So people that are with us now, we are going to do our giveaway and it is one more time. Sheldon, why don't you remind us what we're giving away? It's the teaching through a culturally diverse lens course. Um, so that's, yeah, that's what we'll be giving away. How, how did you want to, did you said ask questions yeah. or what, what we're going to go ahead we're going to go ahead and hear other people's answers to that question. How does equity impact your teaching? And it'll be the first people that respond to that. The first three people that respond to that, that's what we'll be giving away to. So I'm excited to see some of these responses and see what people see as equity in their own classrooms, because I know, like you said, it should just be something that we're doing. So I'm curious to see that reflection take place. It kind of goes back to that internal work we were talking about before. Looks like we got Megan, and I am going to mess this up, but I'm going to try. Nilmini? Yes. And yeah, both of them have already come in. I think we got one more, right? There's still one. <laughs> we need one more, yeah, one more we need. Awesome, okay. Well, and while we're waiting on that third one, I'm hearing the same phrase kind of come up, and it's coming up in some of the chat that we're seeing too, but it's this idea of like doing the work and moving towards that internal, okay? We've done this work where we've thought about what we need to do. We've, we've addressed our own biases. We've gotten a little uncomfortable. Now what? Now what's next? How do we move outside of ourselves? You know, I wanna, I wanna go back to what Sheldon said, cause that's one thing we talk about all the time. We say doing the work, doing the work, doing the work. But what he said was, and this guys, if y'all don't take anything else away from today, take this away you're already doing it. We hope. <laughs> Look, we've all hands up. up. This is not something different. You should be being inclusive. That should be something that you're already doing. You should be being aware of how you other, of how your kids other. You know, everybody who teaches littles, make sure so-and-so doesn't have a partner. Make sure that so-and-so has a partner. That's, that's, that's what we're talking, that's the basic work of teaching is to make sure that you create that 
environment where everybody feels included and valued. And so this is not doing something extra. This is not let me tack this on at the end of the day. This is the, the work that you should already be doing. Now, you might need to deepen it. You might need to take a look at it more explicitly toward when it comes to gender issues, when it comes to race issues, when it comes to political ideologies, when it comes to really, I found out this week that um, my kids are doing some coding and one of the exercises in muted, in, is in music. I did not know, but if you have Muslim students, this is a freebie, if you have Muslim students and you are a music teacher or doing something with music, many of them are fasting from music as well. You have to have an alternative activity. So that's, Again, me just doing my job as a teacher. I learned that because a student said, I said, oh, okay, cool. Thank you for letting me know. So I'm letting you guys know. So as long as you're doing the work and being intentional about it that you're already doing to be inclusive, this should not be a problem. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would, so this, I had, a, I'm not gonna go into details, but I had a, a situation where basically the, the teacher felt she should not do it because it was just one student. I got a hundred kids that I'm dealing with, you know, and 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 I I I can't make this change or I cannot create this accommodation because it's just one student. Okay, which goes back to my initial thoughts. If we can all agree that we want our students to be successful, yeah, it might be just one student needs this. And what's wrong with that? You are getting paid as an educator. And we don't get, I mean, well, that's subjective, but as far as how much we get paid, right? But you are in front of a classroom and your goal, your job is to help create uh, opportunities and help them, not just the academic side of things, but the social skills or those things for that. When they become adults, when they become future judges, when they become future police officers, when they become future jurors and, and all these different public service workers, you have created some support where they're socially just. And that is part of what you do, right? It doesn't matter if it takes, if it's just one student that needs some additional support. So what? Again, this should be something that we're doing on a daily basis. It's not additional. Oh, oh, wait, where's my equity checklist? I need to go grab that real quick and make sure I'm hitting all the boxes. No, it's just something natural, something that you do. You want your kids to thrive. And, and how do we make sure that that happens? And the question is, if it's one student, so the other kids don't need to know about that. I mean, I hung up my sign in my Google, my my Google, my, my little hyper class, what do you call it, Bitmoji classroom has uh, Ramadan Mubarak in it this month. Mm. Because I don't care if it was one Muslim student or several, I think I have probably 20. That's not, that's not a lot considering that I have 200. But we talked about Ramadan. That was one of our words of the day, because not only does that benefit the kids who are celebrating Ramadan, that benefits the other kids. Oh, what's that? Oh, I didn't know. Oh, is that what you is that why you went to that room? Oh, OK. So now I have children who are culturally literate because I'm supporting the 10 or the five or the two or the one or maybe the none that are in my class, but who are in the world who they are going to go out and meet. And because of what you do in your classroom, they'll know how to interact with others. And you are creating your own, like you're developing your own cultural competency. 
right? So if you do not celebrate Ramadan personally, wouldn't it benefit you as well to learn about your students and what their cultural practices are? So it's, we all win. We all win. But again, are we paying attention to those type of things, whether you have one or none? I love that you said that. And it's you know what? So the fun thing about all of that is, and this is the fun part, you know, 12 Hour Live is supposed to be also that fun part. I celebrate all holidays and I get plates. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what Eid al Fitr is, at the end of Ramadan, Eid al Fitr makes Thanksgiving look like a regular Sunday dinner. So, you know, I got to say, oh, Miss Nichols, I'm, so, I'm getting DM in my Zoom. Miss Nichols, I'm so, I didn't know you knew what Ramadan was. Oh, wow. So you and Green a plate? You said you got that night for me? <laughs> Let's see what we can do. I was like, how big is a plate? You know, so that gives me a chance. You said something earlier too, Sheldon, about knowing your students individually so that you can support them individually. Can you, we talk about differentiated instruction? If you don't know them, you don't know what they need and you can't meet those needs. And so he was just excited to be that hey, his teacher's paying attention to what's going on in his life. And I'm going to get a plate on the 13th because, mm. you know, I got it like that. See, I, I got. I'm gonna have to add. See, see, now you got me excited because I, I will mess around and be like 100 pounds more if I if I take that on. So I, I got to be careful with getting those plates. But I love. But just the fact, just the fact that again, that relationship, right? We we talk about teaching. We talk about the importance of you know, you know, I got the standardized test, uh, accountability. I got all these things coming up, uh, and so. But we don't we sometimes forget about the human side of things, right? The humanizing our kids and just the simple fact of relationship building. So now you're connecting with parents, you're, par you're connecting with guardians and the students because they're creating these plates for you and you're getting a chance to eat and you're learning again, developing your cultural competency with other groups. Oh, man, this this is golden. It's if anybody that's watching this, yes, it's, it's, it's worth it's, a pound, Sheldon. You know, it, it's my it's my sacrifice for the relationship building for the SEL. You know, <laughs> I got you. I got you. Okay, that makes sense. I love that makes it. Sense. <laughs> I just everything that you're saying just resonates so much because it, it's just even if it's one kid, it goes back to to what Mickey Smith Jr. was talking about in the last segment. What do you want? Like, what do you want as a teacher? Do you want your students to be able to go out into the world and be culturally competent human beings, be a good person who can interact with other humans and not other them and yeah. really just go out there and be that? It's so powerful. And if it's one kid, great. They're all going to benefit from that understanding. And you know what? It's okay to say, I don't know. You know, I didn't always know what Ramadan was. I was raised in the South in a Baptist church. That's my personal point of view. But I learned because, oh, wow, what's that? Oh, awesome. Okay, and what do you celebrate? Oh, and what are the five pillars? So now I know more and more, and I, I didn't know they fasted for music until this year. I, you know, I, find, I finally got to say todos los dias the right way, and I found out what that was. Since I have so many of my personal relatives who have died, I think it's a beautiful way to honor your ancestors. You know, there's just so many things out there, and culture is, it's amazing. And as a teacher, you don't have to know. Hey, so-and-so is celebrating Todos Los Dias. Let's find out what that is. Oh, uh, 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 wait, I didn't even say it right. Anyway, somebody will get it right. Um, Day of the Dead in the Spanish cultures. 
let's ask each other. Well, let's look in Google. Let's find out what is it? Where does it come from? What's its history? Who celebrates it? Oh, awesome. And you can do that with your whole class. All of those wonderful 21st century comp century competencies are in your research. You don't have to take on the heavy lifting and know everything. You just have to be open and willing to ask questions and explore with your students together so that you can all develop a bit more empathy and, and, and cultural competence so that you can you know, meet the world differently than we're meeting it a lot these days. It's such a powerful modeling practice too to sit there as the as the teacher as the the leader in that space and ask those questions and show genuine interest. It, it models that behavior and it, it just indicates for for students that like there's nothing wrong with that. That's you should ask those questions. Be curious. I love that. Oh, I love that. Oh my goodness, you two, I'm like, That is some in, that is some cool. That is very cool. The party, y'all popped it up a second. Pop Party City just started carrying Ramadan and eye decorations. And that is just, that's, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> it is, it is. So it's awesome, is, but it's late. I, 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 <laughs> they say that I haven't seen like that in 43 years. So yeah. Maybe I'm a pessimist, but it, yeah, it's why, I mean, you know, just, you know, this is a historical event. Like we, I wish we had. But, you know, I wish there was more attention paid way before. Yeah, but that's just me. I, I, maybe I look at it that way, but I'm glad to see that it's happening. Yeah. I don't know that that's pessimistic. I think it's realistic to to still be able to point out, like, this is great. This is something to be celebrated. But let's ask ourselves. Let's go back to that internal work. Where was it before? Why did it yeah. take so long? And that's another question you can explore with your students. You know, I'm teaching a course later today. And one of the questions is, why are most of the statues in the country white and male or mm -hmm. of white male people? Mm -hmm. And that's a great question to explore with your kids when you're talking about what stories have been here, what stories have been omitted, and why we have a need to augment our current curriculum with the stories of many people, the people who make up the tapestry of this country. Yeah, why doesn't our current curriculum already reflect that? I think is a powerful question to ask. But we know. <laughs> <laughs> and to reflect on deeper though, like let's like Well, where? well that can that kind of leads to I, I don't know if so in my state of Idaho, um, there's a lot of pushback with critical race theory, right? And you're not supposed like there's legislation, I think even um during Trump's administration, there was these laws passed against critical race theory. So going back to the idea of, well, how come a lot of the curriculum that's in our classrooms is Eurocentric? How, why is that a thing? And then there's, so we're trying to increase that and say, well, let's, let's provide a multicultural educational approach to our, our students. But then, but then you get legislation, again, systemic racism, systemic oppression that happens where there's people in power they will try to create these laws to oppress the idea of of let's let's talk about what has happened in our history from multiple perspectives, but there's there's still a lot of pushback there. I live in Texas, Sheldon, and it's not just laws. They tried to restrict federal funding for any school who was teaching it. So yeah. then, then we're back full circle to equity. So you're saying that if I tell my story, 
if I tell you know what happened in 1619 as well as well as what else happened at Plymouth Rock if I tell both of those stories as foundational then I can't have federal money to educate my kids so either I have to not tell your story or give you free lunch <laughs> yeah so yeah but the, and and that's when that, like you said that's when we talk about the systems that yeah. are foundationally um this is they're made to disenfranchise people who are non-white and that that's that's hard to hear it sounds like a uh i'm giving you the guilt trip about something that you had nothing to do about do, nothing to do with but by the people for the people was always for wealthy white landowners and when, mm. when we look at the things that have happened since then then we can see, you know, the Native Americans, oh, oh, you don't need your land. It is the manifest destiny that we actually expand as white middle Western white Europeans. And so it was also Eastern Europeans, you know, Russians and uh, Southern Southern Europeans. All of those people were considered non-white. And so when we look at this being a, a system that was made to support the wealth of Western whites and to disenfranchise people who did not fit that and male who did not fit that mold, then we can get to not talking about it as though it's some kind of a us and them and racism, not racism. We can just look at who made the system, who wanted to, who wanted to be king of the hill, who made sure they were king of the hill, and then say, oh, wait a minute, we missed a lot of people. Let's go back and do some, re some reparations. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> On paper, but then there's, again, there's still a lot of, of trying to continue to hold that power. Um, you, you have folks that just, they they believe that their their power is at, I mean, we just saw what happened in January to Capital City riots. That was like a couple months ago. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're you know, I know that you weren't there because you're alive. <laughs> well, okay. So yeah, I, that's a, I don't know how much time we have, Kate. That's a whole nother, Hedrick, I gotta get you on the show. Go for we, it. We, we gotta make this happen. But it's, I mean, but you're right. If I was out there as representing, let's just say I was representing Black Lives Matter and I went to the Capitol building as a group, uh, that experience versus what happened with the Capitol City riots where white men came, they literally stormed, stormed the Capitol building, insurrection, if you will. Yet, I mean, I don't, I mean, the police officers were killed, um, but there weren't a lot of rioters. That, I mean, I saw some images where they were like some of the, those who are there to protect the Capitol building were giving tours of, of the building itself. And, and it just, again, I just saw that experience. I'm just like, and, and, and we could, we could argue there's two different movements happening. You have a movement that's saying, can y'all stop killing us? unarmed black and brown folks can you stop can we matter for one moment versus you're taking away our our privileges you this is our your friend infringing on our civil rights and all these things the mindset that some folks have and it's just two different movements and still two different results that came out of that so it's just i mean i feel like too one of the things that you said before and that just keeps coming back to me is people have this argument like that had nothing to do with me. I'm not the one that did that. Mm. But my question is always, okay, but what are you doing now? Mm. But what are you doing now? That's just it, Caitlin. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about the system was foundationally set up 
for right. certain people. And the people who are still playing King of the Hill are not trying to look and say, oh, this is not cool. I talk about my family because you look at me, I know I don't look like an old sapia black and white picture. My mother did not, she was a part of a segregated school system. I was the first generation in Texas and Houston who could go to school in an integrated school system. My grandmother was born in the forties, my uh, in the twenties. My great grandmother was born in before the turn of the last century. That means that her parents were the generation that was the first freed generation. So this is not like a long, long time ago. So in those five generations, while my family lived in the Jim Crow South, others were able to build wealth for generations. Five generations of education and wealth building versus five generations of oppression and Jim Crow South. And you have, while not everybody could profit here, everybody had the opportunity to. And everybody here, we did not. And it was purposeful. And those systems are still in place. And that's what we have to really talk about. It's not, we talk about the foundational part, but it's like you said, children, it's, not, it's still happening today. Mm -hmm. It never, the, the foundation had, the houses are built on the same foundation and it's still, everybody talks about disrupting or changing, but we still have to go back and, and rip that up because we are not where we should be because we are still holding on. We're putting the new wine in the old wineskins. We're still holding on to pieces of those systems that disenfranchise everyone who looks like me, who looks like, who is not white. And we have to realize that that is who we are as a country. We are not and never have been liberty and justice for all. And that sure. is hard to hear. It's hard to hear, but if we can get to it as look at how we started, look at what we've done since and take the emotion out of it and take the guilt out of it and just look at it as what it is on paper so that we can deal with it. Cause it is what it is. I can look healthy, but if I, if I got a diagnosis for cancer, what's happening is the destruction. And that's what it is. There is a cancer in our society that we really need to work on treating. And that means every one of us, not just people who look like me and Sheldon, but every one of us has got to be a part of the solution. Right. Yes. That, yes. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> does. And that's, and it starts, it starts with that internal work. I keep coming back to that because I feel like people are so quick right now to say, look at what I'm doing. Look at this, look at this book that I got. I'm, I'm on board but we have to go, we have to go internal. And then we have to find ways to not just address our own cultural competency, but then support our students, our students who are going through things that we may never understand fully. And that's one of the things that I know that we've talked about before, Sheldon, especially, I know you brought up student affinity groups. And that's something I really want to make sure that we talk about today because it's a huge step to take as an educator to recognize that I may not understand this, but that I need to find a way to support you. And it can't necessarily come from me because I don't understand fully or, and I never can this experience that you're having right now or these emotions you're feeling or why you're in this situation. So I'm curious to hear what you have to say about and what kind of like insight you can give to these student affinity groups and, and what that might look like. So I do a lot of trainings with, but I work with adults primarily, right? And and one of the things that I've noticed is, okay, I just did a culturally responsive training for my teachers 
or I just did a co uh, implicit bias or microaggressions or whatever it is. And so I've done some training for, for staff, for adults, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the students' experiences are gonna change, right? Because when we think about what happens on the playgrounds, what happens in the classrooms, that when a teacher's not looking in the hallways, when the teacher's not around. So it's great that I'm trying to implement this as an adult and I'm trying to be inclusive and create these type of environments for my kids. But that doesn't, you're not always present, one. And so when we think about students who are not part of the dominant culture, right? And they are experiencing everyday slights. They're experiencing not just from their peers, but maybe even from their, their adults, from teachers and, and, and other staff members, right? And how do they, where's the, the place for them where they can recharge? Where's the place for them where they can learn a lot of terminology and language to be able to feel empowered in these situations? When I, when I was, like, after George Floyd was murdered last year, I had a superintendent that reached out to me, and they were like, we have some kids that are struggling right now uh, dealing with the pandemic and with George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. And not just Black kids, but just kids in general that are like, I want to support my peers. I don't know what to do, but we don't have any staff who has the language or who is comfortable or is capable of being able to lead this work. Could you do some work with students? And I think working with students has been very helpful for me to understand and helping the staff understand what are their needs. Because we can sit there and think that we can, you know, we can plan things for our students and we think we know what's best. But if we don't actually hear their voices, if we don't actually give them a space in which they feel comfortable and they feel like, oh, I can say whatever the heck I want to say in this space and it's going to get a message is going to get to my staff or to my teachers or whoever, the school leadership, and um, my voice will be heard. That makes a lot of a difference versus someone who's continues to be told, nope, that's not how you're supposed to respond. Oh, no, nope, that's not what you should say. No, you're being a bully. No, you're not being kind. No, you're not, you know, get some grit, whatever we're, we're telling our students these days. But we're giving them a space for them to share and be able to discuss and learn with one another about their various experiences and learn how to support each other. Even if I don't identify, even if I do not, I have personally never had this type of experience, but I want to support you if I see it happen to you. If I, if I, if you tell me that it happened to you, I want to be able to support them. And that's, to me, that's the space that's very important when it comes to doing student work. Sometimes people will say, well, student, student affinity groups are just another way to, to segregate our kids as if our kids don't automatically aren't already segregated as it is, right? Let's keep it real. When we look in a lunchroom, we see different groups, we can see that there's a lot of identities where people naturally attract to each other and they sit in those type of spaces. But we try to say, oh, you're creating a segregated space. No, we're not creating a segregated space. We're creating a brave space for our students to be able to engage with one another and be able to share with how they're feeling and what they can do to support each other. I have two questions for you, Sheldon, because this has come up uh, recently in a training as well. I am the first question. I'm a white teacher. I work on a campus where we have very little or no diverse staff, and I want to create uh, an affinity group. How do I go about doing that without looking like the hokey white teacher who wants to save the world? <laughs> Authentic. Well, I've, I've gotten that question too. Um, 
I, I always say it, to me, it's, uh, it boils down to authentic, authenticity and, and our level of control. You know, typically when we think about our classroom and we, we always talk about classroom management, right? Instead of cultural development, but we say classroom management. Why are we so, so focused, so keyed on managing our classes, right? Sometimes we have to give some ownership away, right? We need to be comfortable with letting our students uh, have the dialogue. Just being in a space in which our students want to be able to share, whether if I'm comfortable with having this, this conversation about race or, or this latest music or movie or whatever is not something that I'm into, but just having that space for my kids to talk about it. And then a lot of times just kids just need a little bit of adult guidance as far as some things, of what, some strategies of how to go about it. So, for example, if I'm a student, I'm a group of students and I feel like the dress code is unfair. And I need to know as a class, as a group of students, what would be the best approach to take to bring awareness to administration? As an adult, as a teacher, I could provide some of that guidance, some of that feedback. So it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to identify as a group. I could be a white educator who doesn't identify with the same or, or be able to relate to some of the issues that some of my students are having. But this is an experience that they're bringing up to me. Again, if it's a dress code policy and the te the students are coming to me and asking me, what can we do? Okay, here's some thoughts that I might have. Um, you know, have you considered uh, providing a, a letter to your principal? Have you considered um, doing this or doing that or contacting this individual? Or maybe I can make that connection for you. I could broker those type of opportunities for you as an adult. So it doesn't necessarily mean, again, that I have to be leading the discussions and I have to be facilitating all of this thing. No, I could just be there for my students and help them as they create their own voices. So I can just say to a couple of my black students who I see are struggling, hey guys, I see a lot of stuff going on. I know there's not a lot of y'all here. Y'all people don't say that. There are not a lot of diverse students here. Um, do you guys want to have, y'all want to start a group? You know what I mean? We can start a BSA. I know I'm not black, but I mean, I can provide my classroom. I can be your adult sponsor. I can be here for you. Just that's it. Yep. Okay. Yep. Now, what do my other question? I know we're almost out of time, but I, I, I know that some people I live in Texas, so I know that some people are going to want to know this. So what is it when my white students say, hey, I heard you got a black a BLM group on campus. You know what's coming. I heard you got a BLM group on campus <laughs> or a BSA. That's just another word for BLM. Black Student Alliance, Black Lives Matter, just so we know yeah. what that means. Yeah, yeah, uh, so, well, you know, what about us? You know, we got like, you know, my friends here, you know, we got a, a, our, our White Lives Matter group and we would like, to, you know, <laughs> my parents heard about it and they really want us to start a, a, an affinity group as well. Because every, you know, just like they got Christian people and non-Christian people and they got Black Lives Matter, we deserve one too. So what are we going to do? I have, I have thoughts on this. Um, <laughs> This, I, I get this one too. Um, you know, we, I know I'm a Texas. I know you. I, I get this one too. So I, I, here's my thoughts. This is my opinion. I think it it just depends on the intentions of any affinity group. Okay, uh, whether if it's a black group, uh, a brown group, uh, Asian group, whatever the group is, a white group. To me, it depends on what are your intentions. Um, I just published an episode with Africa uh, and she, we were talking about, you know, do we want to teach our kids, our white students, how to say white power 
uh, is is that the, the approach that we want to take? It may not go well if we if that's our 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 what we're trying to do. Versus, okay, let's create a white affinity group, and this white affinity group is focused on what can we do as white students to support our students. And I and I don't want to just make this race. Uh, what can we do to support our LGBTQ community students or what we can do to support our students uh, who are disabled or uh, our students in other areas? What can we do to support them? Or maybe we identify with these type of groups our, ourselves, right? So we're the white affinity group, but I'm also part of the LGBTQ community or I'm also uh, disabled. And so there's that intersectionality. So I think the intentions are important. If this is just more of a well, this is our response to Black Lives Matter and, you know, White Lives Matter. And that, you know, if that's the premise behind what your group is for, um, I, I would disagree with that. But if you're about positivity and in support of others, then that to me is fine. But again, that's just my opinion. I, mean, I think that's valid. I think the one thing we talk about when we talk about White Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter is looking at the power structure. And I would stand in it probably would not be popular with the white lives group here because I'm sure that they've been playing the game a certain way. And now all of a sudden, hey, why am I getting flagged? Um, I get that. But I would simply say because white people are in power generally on this campus, they are in the majority. They all of the you know, all of the structures, all the people in the books look like them. We don't need to have a support group because we're well supported. But thank mm -hmm. you for asking. I mean, that would that would be my response in that way, just to show because it's not about race. It's about power structure and disenfranchisement rather than just color. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem either way, because um, I, I have some schools that I'm working with that do have white affinity groups. And I've, I even have some districts that have white teacher affinity groups. And again, I just always say, well, what are your intentions? White lives matter. That is oh, white lives matter. Yeah, yeah. that's different. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I misunderstood. Okay. <laughs> yeah. White affinity groups. Yes. Like you said, there's so much personality, okay. but there is a white lives movement movement as well. White lives matter movement. And that is my question. How do you deal with people who have parents saying we deserve our space as well? <laughs> All I got is hair. Okay. <laughs> I would argue that you have your space. Like literally, just walk it. Like if you look at the the, I mean, and it, so okay, I, I I struggle with the word minority, right? Because and and the reason why I struggle with the word minority, it, to me, it just it just signifies insinuates uh, a negativity of less than, less than, right? When I when I see a school and they have and they're like ninety plus percent black and brown and you're still saying this is a majority minority school i struggle with these type of terms um when we think about demographics of our schools and if we're talking about a school that is pre predominantly white uh and we're saying white lives matter um and we should have our own space to me that's again you're not thinking about like you said hedrick the power like you're already in the majority your your life clearly matters we're talking about our students who are in positions in which they aren't they don't feel like their voices are being held or that they matter so we're trying to create a space for them um i don't know sometimes i just think when you're used to getting everything and you're, you're used to like 
being able to do whatever you want to do, walk in the space wherever you want to walk in, you're comfortable because you know that there's going to be other representation of your race or your ethnicity, whatever it is. If you're used to always getting, you know, you, you don't really get much pushback. And then now someone's saying, well, we're going to do something for someone else. Or no, you're not allowed to do this. And it's just like, wait a second. I should be able to do this. Why can't I do this? This is reverse blah, blah, blah to me. This is reverse discrimination. This is reverse racism. I should be able to do this. But we don't think about, um, and again, that could be some unconscious things where it's just like, you know, and you're just not, you're just used to being uh, at the top and not willing to, anytime someone telling you otherwise, then it's, it's a struggle. It's, it's uncomfortable. I think that's so important that you said that, Sheldon, because we don't, it's okay to say, I understand that mm. must be hard for you. You know, yeah. we want that same understanding. But when yeah. I when I get confronted, I say, I understand. I can imagine that, you know, being the king of the hill and then all of a sudden somebody saying, hey, this hill needs to be broadened so that some other people can be up there. I can mm. understand. I could understand. You know, it's like the baby who gets displaced by the new baby. Mm-hmm. I can understand. I can meet that with understanding and validation, but then use it as a teachable moment. As soon as I said, I understand where you are. Yeah. However, yeah. you know, I the think- power structure has favored you for a long time. It's time to make some place, some room. Well, and that's the idea too that I find so interesting because it's this concept that even like economists talk about in relation to wealth. It's this perception of loss. And that's not what we're talking about. It's not a loss. It's not the idea that you were at the top of the hill and now you're getting brought down. (laughs) It's the idea that you're at the top of the hill and we're expanding it to bring more people up. It's not a loss. But Caitlin, if if, if, if everybody who I respect is preaching that that is a loss, then I can create fear. And then what I'm saying doesn't make sense. And so, you know, (laughs) it's such... I argue, I, I argue this because I, I, all right, so there's that pushback. And my thing is this, right? You're not willing to give up one hour, maybe an hour, let's just say a half day once a week, whenever these groups, like uh, a Black Lives Matter group or whoever group meets for one hour a day. And then literally you go throughout the rest of your time, the rest of your school day, rest of in the dominant as part of the dominant culture, but you like it's one hour or, or half a day or whatever the time frame is. That's literally all we're asking for, and and that is an issue. And people don't necessarily think about you're ninety percent, ninety five percent, or a hundred percent, and then we're asking for just that two percent, and and that is an issue because you're you're pushing back on that. And and, and I I just don't understand why people don't don't get it. But again, it could be that sense of entitled entitlement, like Sarah Sarah said in the in the chat. Definitely. Oh my goodness. Both of you have just been so fabulous to listen to today. Um, I feel like the uncomfortable, the discomfort of the conversation surrounding this too, like that's such a, such a problem for most people like sitting and being able to even listen to this for a full hour and lean into some of the discomfort, some of the things that you might've brought up that people may have done or experienced themselves or thoughts that they've even had, like that's huge to be able to even be here and, and continue to sit in that discomfort and continue to not do the work, but be in that space and do the thing that you should be doing 
for your students, for yourself overall. I think that's huge. So both of you, I'm, I, we still have like seven minutes left. I just like want you to just keep going forever. Like what, what? I want to read out Dave's comment. It's funny. Uh, Well, it's funny on point in in a very on point kind of way. There it is. Practice conversation is so uncomfortable. People like me is exactly why this is so needed. Signed a middle-aged white man in a (laughs) cap. Dave, I want you to know I really I was going to, I was going to wear the cap, but I decided I I just got curls today, so I'm gonna. <laughs> it's true though because it's that's the piece of it. We need to continue having these conversations. We need to continue to to ask ourselves what what do we need to be doing? What can we do moving forward? And so I'm curious from both of you, as a white educator, as someone who is here and wanting to have these conversations. What advice do you have for people in classrooms every day moving forward that they can do, that they need to do? Oh, can I go first? Go for it. (laughs) I I was about to go for it, go for it. Stop buying books. Mm. (laughs) Don't buy another book unless it's a journal with blank pages. Mm. And go back through your personal experiences who made you feel small as a child? Who made you feel uncomfortable? And examine who, which kids in your classroom give you feelings, big feelings, and figure out why. Why do they produce that kind of response in you? And what I guarantee that you, whoever you're responding to in some kind of way in your classroom, there is somebody in your past that already set up the ground for that. And so just buy, if you're going to buy a book, let it be a journal and be brutally honest with yourself. Be brutally. I have a f- friend, not colleague. And she said recently with my son, who's 17, we had brunch outside and she said we were talking about race and issues. And she said, well, I'm on it. If I'm honest, if a black man came down the street and I was alone and dark, I would feel un- I would feel afraid. You know, how many people when when David Derek Chauvin said, well, we had to control we had to control him. He was a sizable guy. Mm. There's so much fear in that statement. So take your to put your books that you your reading lists, put them on a shelf and get a journal and a pen, your favorite pen. Go buy one and sit outside and write about what you believe about your students, what you believe about students who you've clashed with. And really just do that. Don't read another book. Really sit with yourself. Get uncomfortable. And it's not for anybody else. It's not a course. You don't have to pretend to be the right kind of level of woke. Be brutally honest with yourself. Be brutally honest about the things you were taught. And really sit with those things and then go back and pick up the books and decide what kind of changes you need to make. Because that's the big work right there. Get a journal. That's all. I don't really have much to say after that. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, oh, yeah, 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 I agree. Um, I would, the only thing I would add is just also when you're doing that self work is to also understand some history uh, behind why people from different groups of, of than yours um, are, are, are saying these things, why we are doing this. Think about history. You know, if we're talking about race, think about, you know, what has been historically the, the treatment of black people. 
Don't just, like you said, Hedrick, don't just grab the latest book that's on the shelf and do a book club. But you got to understand the history behind why context is important. Why are people saying, can we just matter? Can we just get civil rights? Can we just stop getting beat up and killed? This is not something that just happened a few years ago. This is stuff that has continued to happen over generations. If we get that understanding as well, that self-work to me um, makes makes so much of a difference. I, I really didn't have anything much to add after that, Hedrick. <laughs> you know what? But that's that's that, that's a big part of it. Empathy. You know why we not we're not just suddenly big mad. Mm. My mom, my mom gave me a book when I was in high school. Well, no, when I graduated high school, going off to to college in North Carolina, she gave me a book entitled One Thousand and One Lynchings. Mm. And at the time, it was just a book. But now I know why she gave it to me, so that I would really have some historical context to see that things that, that I would experience, things that I would experience, the protests that I experienced on that campus, this was not something new. It might have been new yeah. to me because I kind of came in in the low between civil rights and Black Lives Matter. But it's, it's not new. We're not mad because suddenly these things are happening. So that's so important. Try to, yeah. Can we please just matter? We don't need, we don't want you to shoot them like you shoot us. We yeah. just want you to stop shooting. Don't shoot us like you don't shoot them. Like going yeah. back to the, the, the capital, <laughs> the, the capital insurrection. Oh my goodness. Thank you both so much for being here today. And everyone, I hope you're buying your journals right now because I know that's what I'm about to go do. Um, thank you both so much, Hedrick, Sheldon. I, this was phenomenal conversation. Thank you for letting me sit here and just kind of soak it in, witness your greatness yet again. Um, both of you are absolutely brilliant and I'm so honored to, to have been here with you today. Uh, before we go, our winners of the giveaway of the course and the Leading Equity Center on Teaching Through a Culturally Diverse Lens, lens our winners are Megan B. Nilmany and Candace Miller. So congratulations, you three. As with all of our giveaways, make sure you email Katie at teachbetter.com and she will give you the details on how to get your, how to claim your course and, you know make some steps towards towards a more culturally diverse lens. So, Hedrick, Sheldon, thank you again for being here, and uh, it was so good to see you. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was me. a pleasure. Bye, guys.